My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. This is a CBC Podcast. All right, I've been waiting for this one all week. Beyonce dropped two new songs, and her music has forced a conversation about country music. It is one I'm delighted to have, so thank you, Beyonce, for this. Today on the podcast, why are pop stars going country? The group chat is here. Let's go. I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. This is Commotion. Okay, so normally on this day of the week, on this time of the week, we gather some of my favorite culture writers around the table. And then today, we talk. We usually we talk about a bunch of stuff at the end of the week. Today, we're going to talk about one big thing because five days later, after we first heard it, you know, we are still talking about this. This ain't Texas. Ooh. Ain't no hold'em. Hey. So lay our cards down. That is Texas Hold'em. That is one of two songs that Beyonce dropped in the middle of the Super Bowl. Then she announced that she's coming with an album. It's called Act Two, and we are getting a country album. Okay, there's a lot to talk about here. One, black artists have been trying to fight the white country establishment for a long time. So Beyonce's arrival at this moment in this time means something, and we got to talk about what that means. But two, Beyonce's not the only pop star turning to country right now. I think there's something interesting going on there. I've got three music journalists here to help unpack all of this. Andrea Williams is here. Marissa Moss is here. Carl Wilson is here. Andrea, Marissa, Carl, welcome to the show. How's it going, everybody? Hi. Hey. <laughs> Hi. I'm I'm so ex- I've been just buzzing waiting for this conversation. Uh Andre, I'm going to start with you on this. What we're not going to do is pretend that the conversation about blackness in country is new like some people are pretending. But with that being said, it feels like it's been pushed to a new level. It's been you know, a lot of people are paying attention to this conversation that maybe they weren't before. We've had a chance to live with these songs for a week now. Um what are what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? about these songs, about the way they've created a conversation. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking Beyonce too, honestly. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. I felt kind of like as we've had these conversations in the past, like I was screaming into a void a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've long said that it might take people outside of Nashville to care about this in order to move us in another direction in the same way, you know, you don't have to be, um, you know, Palestinian or Israeli or Jewish to care about what's going on in Gaza. And so I'm glad that we are able to have that conversation on another level now. Um, I am not a critic, so I am not going to speak to, you know, whether these are good songs, yes. but I absolutely love the fact that Beyonce did Beyonce country songs. Yes. I think a lot of times we get people outside of country music that are like, 
well, I better go talk to Jay Joyce and Dan Huff if I want to do this country record. And if Hillary Lindsay's not on the project, then I don't have any well-written songs. And like all this stuff that makes it really difficult to get different voices and different styles that ultimately can push this genre forward, particularly when we're talking about Black artists in it. So that Beyonce was like, yo, I might come to Nashville, I might not. And I might use <laughs> Nashville people and I might not. Um yeah. I like, I would definitely say too, I hope there are a lot more uh, Nashville folks on the album. Um, you know, we've only seen two tracks thus far, you know, maybe some folks that, you know, I think Beyonce's done a good job in the past, whether we're talking about black businesses or other creatives and kind of uplifting folks who need it. Yeah. So I hope we see more of that. But yeah, I'm just excited that she did her own version of this that is very Beyonce and very black and kind of, you know, not kind of, but really says I don't need your system, right? Because as Marissa and I have talked many times, the system is the problem. And she has shown that you don't actually need the system. Yeah, there's always like this tendency to sort of uh, focus on specific artists, but it is, in fact, the system that is a problem. Marissa, you're also based in Nashville. This is, it's the epicenter of the music industry. It's kind of the place that people refer to when they talk about the gatekeepers in this particular industry. And then here comes Beyonce, and she's shooting for the top, right? She She's at the top of the iTunes charts. She's at um, all of the Spotify country playlists. What do you make of this? What do you make of the immediate reception to Beyonce in the space? I mean, I think it's awesome. I, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a it, it's been such a whirlwind couple of days since this song came out, and just kind of following the roller coaster ride of how people are reacting to it, yeah. how Nashville's reacting to it. Um, I love the songs. I mean, I, they're uh, it, it's so fun to have these songs in the mix. Yes, too. I mean. Uh, uh, there's a great piece in, in Vulture just talking about how fun these songs are too. Yeah. Um, but I mean, she's Beyonce. So everything is going to be on a different level that I think, and that's kind of the fun thing that I think if something is going to be bigger than Nashville and bigger than Music Row thinks it wants to be or is, it's going to be Beyonce. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, like it, it's an amazing thing to bring into the mix because she's able to ride above all of the BS in this town because she comes in at the level that she does. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, it's an, an awesome kind of flip to finally have on things, I think. Um but yeah, it's been a ride. It's been I, a ride. It, I've been sort of really taken by how much conversation this has created because I think like there have been black artists, yeah. particularly in the last five years or so, really pushing the conversation when it comes to blackness and country. And then you get to the Beyonce moment and it feels like suddenly there is a wide audience for this and people are listening in ways that I have to imagine, like if you've been trying to have this conversation for a minute, if you've been Mickey Guyton, if you've been Reese Palmer, you're like, where were y'all? Where were you guys mm -hmm. over the last, you know, three years, over the last 10 years, over the last 20 years as we've continued to have this conversation? Andrea, what's your sense? Is Because to me, what I'm, what I'm sort of seeing is there's a lot of excitement that Beyonce has kind of put her thumb on the scale, which is to say um, it, she's kind of reoriented the conversation to say, you know what, it's time to sort of have this out in the open as opposed to having these black women try to continue to have this conversation without anybody listening to them. Yeah, it's, 
Beyonce can do that, as as Marissa said. Um, yeah. And I think it's important, but it is tough. Um, Chris Willman, I don't know if y'all saw it. He did a variety piece last night where he talked to some folks in radio and it broke my heart. And I am not a country artist. Like yeah. this notion Woof, that like... Yeah. Oh yeah, we've been pumping millions of dollars into radio tours for all these years and we've been telling people it's going to take a year to work your song up the charts and you might still never get there and now it's like we're grabbing wave files online cuz it's Beyonce. Mm. Like you don't even actually have to service us mm. is horrible. Now, it's confirmation for what I and so many other people have been saying, which is that none of this is real and it's all a construct and at any moment we can tear this down and go our own way. But it has to break your heart, right? We yeah. go back to 2020. We go back to Mickey Guyton. Even if country radio felt some kind of way about Black Like Me, because it was a little too on the nose for the white folks. Yeah. Um, you know, even everything that came out after that, she got no love. Like she did two Tyler Hubbard records that got no love. And now, yes, there's a Beyonce element that I think even Mickey would acknowledge. Yeah. But the larger point is like, y'all will throw the rules away when y'all get ready to. Y'all just never wanted to do it before. So how do we start to unpack that? How do we make sure when Beyonce has moved on to Act 3 that we are not just falling back on this arbitrary garbage and then doing more of the same? I, I, I'm so fascinated about that conversation. I want to come back to that in just a moment, but I also want to place this Beyonce moment in this larger cultural context. Beyonce is not the only pop star that is moving into country right now. Take a listen. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. So close the door and change the channel. Give me something I can handle. I could love her. All right, so what you just heard there is a little medley. Lana Del Rey, she's got a, de- a rendition of John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads. Maggie Rogers, new single, Don't Forget Me. And then Post Malone, he did a song with Morgan Wallen and Hardy. Lana and Post have both said that their next albums are going to be country records. Maggie has collaborated with people like Zach Bryan in the last year or so. Kylie Minogue is hinting that she might get in on the action. Carl, what is happening here? What do you think is pushing all these pop singers in the in the world of country right now? Yeah, it's pretty striking. I mean, I think there are a few different angles on what's driving all of this, and it comes from several different directions. Hmm. Um, I think that there's been a, a brewing thing, and certainly everything that Marissa and Andrea were just talking about is part of that, like the conversation inside country music. But in 2019, with, I would say, um, Beyonce's sister Solange's album, um, which was surrounded by cowboy imagery and like yeah. bringing what was called the Yeehaw Agenda at the time, if we remember that, yes. uh, <clears throat> kind of a fashion um excavation of black cowboy history with that same year old town road Lil Nas X breaks and this whole conversation about billboard not putting that in the country charts really broke out into the public a lot of this conversation about people of color and country music and Mm -hmm. and the history of that and a third thing that year was Ken Burns country music series on PBS which did delve into some of that history and raise some awareness and then the pandemic came, right? So we've got now we've got like four years build up, 
couple of those years when nothing could happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Beyonce's talked about how both Renaissance Act One and Act Two have been pandemic conceived projects. Yeah. And so you think that she was probably responding. But then, like, let's talk about what's been happening in country where bro country has kind of been on the decline for mm. the past few years. And streaming is challenging radios stranglehold on deciding what gets popular. And we're starting to see, you know, not necessarily people of country and women, people of color and women, but, you know, unconventional country stars like Jelly Roll or Tyler Childers or Zach Bryan breaking through what the gatekeepers want because people streaming are are expressing their interests. And finally, let's talk about what's happening in pop, where there's been kind of a low energy time for the past few years. And when that happens in pop, people look for other wells of inspiration to draw on. For 20 years, that's mostly been in hip hop. And I think in some ways, freshening up your sound by making it more hip hop is kind of a played out move. And so they're looking to the other big, you know, what we might call one of the two solitudes of American pop music, country Mm. music as a fresh well of inspiration. So I think all of those things together are kind of, creating this moment. And we saw the beginning of it last year where there was a series of crossover country hits, not all ones that we might have been happy to see, um, but certainly <laughs> think certainly a level of attention to country from the pop audience yeah. that, um, that that's unusual. And we had that moment with Luke Combs and Tracy Chapman yeah. on the Grammys last week that kind of represented the best possibilities of that. And so I think that we're seeing that like it, there really is a moment coalescing um, mm. that's a little out of control of the usual Nashville gatekeepers that we've been talking about. Uh, Mercy, it might actually do us a good service here to spend a moment setting up the way that radio controls what happens in country. Because I think if you look at any other genre, that, that, you know, that understanding of how dominant radio is as a force, you go, what are you talking about? What do you mean radio is so central to who becomes a star in country? But country is kind of built differently. Do you want to just like maybe spend a 30 seconds or a minute setting up how significant you know, the radio pipeline is? Yeah, and I, I know that's kind of a... Exactly, as you said, can be a little shocking and sound a little weird for people that aren't really engaged in the country space. Like, exactly, as you said, really, you know, country radio is still that important. It is. It is the thing that all of Music Row, um, and I say Music Row to kind of talk specifically about the Nashville infrastructure that is controlling all of this. Um, That's, you know, the sun at the center of Nashville. Everything revolves around it. It is the litmus test for marketing share for success in terms of who's headlining festivals, who gets the promo deals, all of those things, whether we like it or not, that is how everyone structures, you know, their business investments, their promo dollars on radio. Um, And labels will make it like, oh, radio is in charge. They're in charge of what we decide. But if you talk to radio, they will say, no, labels are in charge. It's their promo budget. It's what's service to us. They're in charge. Everyone's blaming everyone else on who has the control. Nobody wants to take accountability for anything, really. Yeah. Um, but really, they're all working together to ensure the success of basically, you know, 99% uh, cis, het, white men and one chosen blonde woman, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like Andre was saying earlier, like it's, it was so ridiculous to me also like reading that article that you mentioned by Chris Willman, where he talks about, 
you know, oh, like we we can play this song without exactly as you were saying, without being serviced properly by the labels, which is how you get your song out. So you do an official ship date and it goes out to all the the radio stations and they add it into their playlist. Mm -hmm. I remember during Old Town Road and I even I remember during Mickey Guyton's Black Like Me, I was talking to a lot of the radio programmers and they were like, well, the big problem is we can't add this song because it hasn't been properly Mm -hmm. serviced to us. And we can't really rip a copy because the sound quality is going to be crummy. And like, <laughs> it's not really our fault. Like, they have no urgency have with us to adding it, like, right? Like, yeah. I don't know how many programmers I spoke to about Mickey Guyton's, not just Black Me, multiple songs being like, we can't find them in the service. Like, this is so hard. They weren't properly shipped to us on a gold and silver platter. And yeah. now they're going on record saying like, oh, it's Beyonce. We'll do whatever we can. We'll get it. No problem. Like, we would always be this open to plan a black woman like no problem um and so it's just like constant tells but yes the country radio is still what everyone revolves around and worships at any moment it could be broken and we just choose not to we just choose to play the same game hey i'm journalist sam sanders i'm poet saeed jones and i'm producer zach stafford and we are the hosts of a podcast called vibe check on vibe check we talk about everything news culture and entertainment and how it all feels that's right we talk about any and everything on our show from real life issues like grief to music and movie critiques and that barely scratches the surface yes indeed and it doesn't stop there we have got a lot to say so join our group chat come to life follow and listen to vibe check wherever you get your podcasts If you're just joining us, my name is Alameen Abdul Mahmoud, and this is Commotion. On today's podcast, we're talking about the challenges and the conversations that have kind of come up um, after Beyonce dropped two uh, country songs. And it has kind of changed how we talk about country, at least for this week, which is, uh, <laughs> to to my mind, a relief to a lot, the mind of a lot of people, a relief. Andrea, there was a report this week of this Oklahoma radio station refusing to play Texas Hold'em after a listener emailed in a request. Then they, there was this sort of social media outcry, and then the program director said, actually, we didn't know that Beyonce just put out a country song, and now they are playing Texas Hold'em. What do you make of that? What do you make of that in conversation with, Marissa, with what Marissa just said about the, the stronghold that country radio has? Yeah. Initially, I'm like, dude, how do you not know? But I mean... Maybe he, he could live under a rock. It's possible. You know yeah, what I'm sure. saying? Like he could have. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think I think the major takeaway as we talk about country radio and Beyonce is the fact that they are from for what it looks like now, moving everything that they've ever been, you know, told us that the, how they did business. <laughs> I talked to people during the Black Like Me era as well. It was, we've got our preset inventory. Yeah. We had no, so before you get the service date and the impact date and all that, like generally speaking, they know when something's coming. So even though they haven't plugged it in yet, right? Like they're starting to think about what these playlists are going to look like potentially March, April, whatever. We didn't know. We've got our inventory already built out. It was like, there was no movement whatsoever. And now we're seeing that none of that is the case and to the point of it being I think one of the most heartbreaking parts about it and I think about 
when I read it, I think about Reese and I think about Mickey and I think about all these women before. Yeah. It was like, yeah, we've always been open to black women. We've said that for so long. It just had to be the right one. Yeah. It had to be the one with, you know, the right song and the right, you know, yeah. appeal and all of that. And it's <laughs> like, I mean, people love Beyonce, but that it's 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 very difficult for people to hear that because to Marissa's point, everybody passes the buck in this town. It's never the the AR people at the label will tell you they can't sign you because radio won't play you. And so much of their profits and how they do business is tied to radio. Radio is going to say, I can't play you if the labels don't sign you. So what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah, it's all a game. It's not real. We're seeing that now. I hope we get to that part of the conversation where we're like, thanks, Beyonce. Let's figure out how to keep some of this Beyonce fans here, right? I experienced it yesterday because I posted some stuff and I was like, oh, this is what it looks like when you post about Beyonce. I didn't yeah. say anything bad, so I haven't been doxxed or anything yet, which is good. But <laughs> but it's also like, yo, how do we hold on to these people, right? Yeah. So that we can build a sustainable audience for Black artists. I think the part of the issue too, why Black artists end up in limbo is because they haven't had access to that Black artist. So many, so, or I'm sorry, that Black audience, because so, I saw so many people online yeah. Sunday that were like, I've never even heard of Charlie Pride, right? Oh, wow. But yeah. then you can't yeah. access the pre-built audience that country music has built, which is why it goes through those traditional channels. So you end up in no man's land. So if we can figure out how to maintain, how to cultivate and even grow this audience that Beyonce has brought over and people are excited about black country music. Now I think we can get somewhere even outside of the industry, which is quite frankly, where we still are. I, first of all, a word. Thank you. Uh, second of all, I think like there is, th th this is the thing that Beyonce does, right? Like the, the, what I'm, what I'm interested in, Carl, is this larger conversation about the impact of Hurricane Beyonce. And she did this with Act One when, you know, Renaissance came out and suddenly we were having refocusing conversations about who really invented house, who really yeah. invented the genres that she was working in, who really innovated these genres and brought them to life. And I guess like with this album, you begin to see a little bit more of what the project of Renaissance is, which is to say it is a corrective to the record. It is saying, here is a genre that you believe to be predominantly done by white people. As a matter of fact, we were there at the beginning and we are the innovators of it. Um, I'm interested in how you see that fitting in with the general Beyonce mission statement and how we see Beyonce as an artist. Well, you know, I mean, Beyonce's, you know, through her whole solo career, been a kind of conceptual artist, right? That's built up and built up over time. Lemonade certainly was like one kind of yes. culmination of that. And then this new phase, I mean, partly it's called Renaissance because it's it's a new phase in that way. But it's also like asserting herself as a Renaissance woman and in some ways asserting Black culture as a Renaissance culture in yeah. that way of that incorporates all of the skills, all of the genres. And that's and that's a project that's going on. And the amazing, exciting thing that's very rare to happen in pop music is yeah. to have someone who acts as a cultural historian having this level of visibility and power and using it in this way, you know, it's when, when Andrea was talking just now, I had the vision of Beyonce as, as like in Scooby-Doo, the, the moment when somebody reaches in and takes the mask off the villains, right? <laughs> Beyonce, yes. Beyonce is playing that, playing that role in some ways. How deep that runs, you know, at least, at least 
some part of a generation is going to get educated about these things, whether that changes the course of future country history and its relationship to other musics. You know, remember, you know, we've had these kind of crossover moments before and like urban cowboy in the 80s or line dancing in the 90s didn't like reconcile the American North and South. Right. So we should keep our expectations somewhat modest. Well, I was going to say, Marissa, when you sort of look at this moment, what what do you what do you imagine is going to be the long term impact of Beyonce's release on the industry? Or is it even too early to say because like we're five days into this and country music is kind of notoriously a slow changing industry? Yeah, I mean, be, again, like I I don't want to put too much weight on Beyonce's shoulder to like yeah. do all of this work for for everyone, and especially you know not accounting for all the work that has been going on for so long before Beyonce um, released this album. But I have a lot of like I have a lot of I have to have a lot of hope. I think in mm. what she can. Um, there's something magical I think about opening up other fans to country music. I'm always like looking for ways to go around the systems here because I think we've learned and we've talked about on the show is that they're so broken and yet we refuse to break them enough to break out of them. We have to find some other way. There has to be some other way um, to, for artists that aren't just Beyonce, that are black women in Nashville trying to make music and have their music heard. There has to be a way for them to get to the fans. If it's not going to be country radio, if it's not going to be artists, uh, label signing them, um, you know, in- increase the audience, increase yeah. the visibility for these other artists. Like what if, you know, I was talking with someone yesterday, like imagine like a, you know, a, a three day festival that Beyonce could put on where there's like small stages and big stages with country artists, like all across the spectrum, black country artists, like there's so much possibilities. Again, I don't want to like, you know, task Beyonce with solving all of the problems <laughs> yeah. that like we have screwed up and like that's, that is not her problem to fix. Um, but there there are a lot of doors that I think can be open and also just having a way to like, it's so valuable to be able to call these people on their BS, you know? Look, while all these big pop stars are plotting these country crossovers, some of the most talked about indie artists are also making records like this. Been yours for so long Come right back to That is right back to it. It's a new single from Katie Crutchfield, also better known as Waxahachie. She's joined there by MJ Lennerman, who also plays in another critically acclaimed, let's say, country-tinged indie act, which is Wednesday. Carl, these artists come up playing house shows and DIY punk spaces. Do you see a connection between what's happening with big stars like Beyonce and then indie artists like Waxahachie right now? I mean, I think some of the same dynamics might be at work, but in some ways they really are different tracks. I think part of what you might be looking at in the indie world is um, kind of the cycle of nostalgia and reworking that you always see in music. And, you know, for a lot of the past decade or so, these especially like young women's rock bands have been drawing a lot on sort of mid nineties indie sounds and a Mm. lot of that. And, but another thing that was happening in that time period and coming out of it was alt country, which was also a kind of indie based punk and country kind of hybrid music. And we see that kind of coming back around, you know, you mentioned the band Wednesday out of North Carolina 
and you know one of my favorite new acts of the past five years and they're very explicitly influenced by the songwriting of the drive by truckers out of Athens, Georgia, who yeah. are, you know, have been a stalwart, amazing, thoughtful, historically minded country rock band mm-hmm. for decades and really under taken up as an influence and seeing Wednesday doing that has been super exciting to me. But we also have to say this kind of roots uh, slash folk slash country, but not Nashville country influence in indie music it's always kind of there it's more prominent at some periods of times yeah and less prominent at others maybe there's something in the american mood that's bringing it forward right now we mm-hmm. can talk about that but but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't read it as being quite the same like steam train taken off that seems to be happening in the pop country crossover world. yeah uh, what do you think marissa i mean I, you've written about artists who are clearly making country music who have fans who say things like I don't listen to country, but they clearly listen to these records. Yeah, I mean, that's the funniest thing is that someone made a great joke on Twitter that was like, you know, Waxahachie fans will say they hate country music and then they'll go listen to this record because it clearly, (laughs) you know. um, Yeah. And that, you know, being in Nashville and so many times seeing artists and music get discounted from the people, I guess I say on the coast. I don't know what else to really say to explain it's it. It's fine. We'll take it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm from New York, so I'm knocking myself in this too. And I'm sure yeah. it applied to me at some point in my life is that you're, you're constantly being told to believe that all country music is bad. All country music is conservative. Mm. Um, and you're supposed to say that refrain of, I like everything but country music. And that is supposed to signal something that says something about your class. I think that says something about, exactly. you know, your political affiliation. I'm, you know, I'm not like them in the South. I'm liberal. I'm blah, blah, blah. All of that is, um, a little crap, um, of course, but, and I think that's these artists sort of lending themselves to a country like incorporating country sounds into their music and not just doing it and not sort of saying anything like fleet foxes or something for example yeah um but kind of owning it a little bit more and being comfortable with saying these sounds are a little more country or americana is is helpful in breaking down some of those walls in terms Mm -hmm. of people saying oh i don't listen to anything but country blah 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 that helps, you know, because that's diff- makes things more difficult for us in Nashville to kind of do the work and get people on our side a little bit of like why it matters to even care about country. Like it's so easy to turn your nose up towards it and say, well, I don't, you know, this doesn't even, I don't listen to that. So it doesn't matter to me anyway. Why should I care? Mm. Um, I mean, you can draw so many parallels to like even, you know, politics and the the way that people will say, you know, yes. I don't care about what happens in Tennessee and Texas. Like, you know, those are just bad political states. So whatever, it doesn't affect yeah. me as if everyone is a monolith and no one is important because a couple of, you know, crummy white politicians or white country singers are in charge. Um Sorry, yeah. that was a long spiel a little bit, just, but I have a lot of just, feelings about it. You went off. I loved it. Carl, just, you were looking like you jump, something. Just jumping in I'm on sorry. that. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that the other thing about that kind of snobbery that's amazing to me is that inevitably the same people who are like roots snobs towards contemporary 
Nashville country, always anything that's like more than 20 years old out of Nashville, that's all fine. No matter, you know, and it changes every 10 years, you know, now 90s country. I remember people going off about Shania Twain and Garth Brooks and how sellout all that was in the 90s. Now everybody loves that music, right? And it's, it's authentic all of a sudden. And, you know, that's it's that safe distance from the contemporary country audience that you want to distance yourself from on that kind of class and education level, mostly, I think, and regional levels, yeah. you know, that, that is so obvious when you watch those patterns. Andre, last word to you on this. What, what do you, what, what, go ahead. You look like you're like ready to jump in. Let's go. Go, <laughs> go for it. Well, I have a couple things that I'm trying like in my mind to keep track of what everybody said. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think absolutely there there's a class and a political element to the I listen to everybody, everything but country comments. Yeah. I also think and this is like the most someone who, you know, is an advocate in this space. Um, it's not a popular opinion, but I don't on the whole, I think it's impossible to say, oh, my gosh, it's great. You have to give country music a chance or it's not fair for me people to make these blanket assessments when we also fully acknowledge that country music is so exclusionary and there Mm. are only a small segment of people who get to participate, right? I'm a sports person. I always talk about sports. I always go back to Adolph Rupp at Kentucky, basketball coach, who had the best team in the country until he played the little black team from Texas Western. And all of a sudden now he has to integrate his team because he realizes I can't win if I'm only pulling players from this segment of the population. Mm. And country music has always done that. So how, I ask people all the time, how can you tell me that this is the greatest product that could be put out of this town? Regardless of how you feel about it and your connection to individual artists, how can it be that great? Because then when I say, well, you know, black people don't get to do this. Uh, Latinos don't get to do this. We're, we're not anywhere in town. We're not in the studios. We're not songwriters and producers. That was the point that I made in my column yesterday talking about Beyonce. Even as we all say, you know what? Yeah, T-Tot, this little black guy taught Hank Williams to play guitar. Everybody's fine now that no black people play guitar. And here's mm. Beyonce putting a kid from Atlanta on guitar on 16 carriages. What does that say to what happens in this town now, right? Yeah. So how, how when we move forward this way, can we then get upset? I don't know. I think where there's smoke, there's fire. And yes, some of these assessments are made by people who don't have a full understanding of what's going on. But some of this critique needs to be heated for sure. The other point I want to make is that while we have these people outside of it coming in, I think it's also notable that we have people coming out, right? Marin being uh-huh. the most yeah. notable. Yes. But then Leaving Marissa, country wrote about, Marissa wrote about Cassidy Pope yesterday, right? So these mm-hmm. people on the inside who are here, who have been up and down Music Row, have played the 10-year town game, who know where all the bodies are buried, are like, y'all can have it. But Mm -hmm. we just want to act like there's some great thing here that's pulling people in. When for me, is it more of just, all right, that that fruit over there in country music looks like it's really low hanging. Mm -hmm. Right. And yes, I like the sonics of it. And yes, there's this sort of nostalgic element to it. And I'm sick of the hustle and bustle of Hollywood. Right. Like that's a real thing. People are like, I am tired of L.A. And in, in, in Nashville, I can go and chill and relax. And it's not that same type of vibe. I think all of those things are true. But when we talk about this, this in and out flow, I think we have to consider the fact that people don't know what's going on here. And the people who do can speak to it in a different way. And some of those people are fed up with it. 
Listen, before we go, um, I want to point to a large body of scholarship of people who have written and have been writing about this for a long time, about these fights inside of Nashville, about these fights in and around Nashville. Um, Dr. Francesca Royster's book, Black Country Music, which came out a couple of years ago. Marissa, your book, Her Words, which came out, I think it was a year and a half ago that came out. Um, there's Dr. Jada Watson, who's based in the University of Ottawa, who has been meticulously compiling the data of how radio country radio treats women treats people of color and the data is overwhelming you know in terms of saying these institutions are institutions that don't want anyone aside from predominantly white uh, white men predominantly um, in these institutions is that changing I don't know but I think the pushback is real I think the pushback is had in conversations just like this one I want to thank all of you for being here Marissa Moss Carl Wilson Andrea Williams you guys have been terrific thank you again for your time thanks thank so much you. for having me of course Andrea Williams is a writer for Vulture and the Tennessean in Nashville Marissa Moss is a country music journalist also based in Nashville and Carl Wilson is a columnist for Slate in Toronto and that is it for the podcast today Commotion was produced this week by Stuart Berman Ty Callender Amelia Ekbal Jane Vancouverden and Jess Lowe our intern Shanna Williamson it's her last day with us Shanna you've been terrific thank you so much for being around our digital producers are Eva Jew and Julie Grossman Gray our directors this week, Daniel Grogan and Jane Vancouverden. Our engineer is Sam Hashmi. Our senior producer is John Perry. And McKeegan is our executive producer. My name is Alameen Abdul Mahmoud. I'm going to be around next week. I'll see you then. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.